Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show. Today we're going to be doing the final word on West Ham from Sunday. Yes, we will be discussing VAR and handball. You might be sick of it, but we will get Peter and Jack's take on everything that happened. We'll discuss Niskin's Cabano because Peter's done a lovely interview with him in The Athletic. Uh, and we'll chat about a 7-0 win for the Fulham under-21s. It's been a while since Fulham won 7-0 away from home. Nice to see the under-21s rolling it back to last season. And we'll preview Saturday's massive game against Bournemouth. I'll be asking Jack and Peter classic questions like... Is it a six-pointer? Can there ever be a six-pointer between eighth and ninth in the Premier League? It feels a bit wrong, but at the same time, it feels a little bit right. Uh, and speaking of those two, it is the regular Thursday club of Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, Sammy. It's good to be back. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Did you have a nice holiday? I did. It was a wonderful time. A wonderful time. Enjoyed myself immensely. Um, so it's a bit of a mad month for me. I got a kind of break in before or it all goes insane. But the World Cup coming up, obviously, in a little while. But I'm off to Bilbao this weekend. It's all a bit chaotic, but I'm enjoying myself. Good man. Good man. He looks like you have a lovely time. And Peter Rutzler, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Let's get in then the final word from West Ham on Sunday. Um, Peter a weird afternoon. That's the only thing I can put it down to. I felt like all three of West Ham's goals, I just was there going like, what? Why? How has this happened? Why is this counted? Um, in my mind, as uh, Danny Murphy said on Match of the Day, Fulham won 1-0 <laughs> and we came away after having a lovely day because all three of the goals, I was just like, oh, so annoying. Um, what was your take on it? Um, I imagine you were pretty busy after the match writing up that particular match report. Yeah, oh, I hate talking about VAR and referee. It's just the worst, isn't it? And it's just, you know, when you have those kind of afternoons, like, I just, you just don't want to be doing this. But but you couldn't ignore how <laughs> much of an influence it had on the game. My day started off badly anyway. I'd lost my laptop charger, so I was sort of trying to nurse my laptop through the game. So tweeting on my phone and then trying to make sure I had enough power to write something afterwards. Yeah, the I daily mean, struggles of an athletic journalist. Well, no, no, this is very much self-inflicted. I don't think this could apply generally. Um, <laughs> Hadn't noticed. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was a weird game. I thought Fulham started really well. Um, West Ham were not at it. Got the goal. Obviously, Dan James hit the bar and it just felt like this could go in a really good direction. It just it felt like the... That Fulham were, were on top in charge. Um, the penalty completely changed the mood inside the ground. Um, the feeling changed entirely because it was quiet. It was a bit tetchy. It was becoming, you know, a bit more angsty. And then there was a bit more belief, as, as you'd expect. And, uh, and and West Ham came into the game a little bit more. But obviously, the the decisions were decisive. I mean, they, we've, we've analysed them to death. And I think that I can see why the penalty was given. 
I think the handball for Skamaka is clear. And then the Antonio situation is, is you can understand, you, you get it, but at the same time, it doesn't make it right. Especially with the context of Marcus Rashford having his goal, you know, ruled out minutes later, essentially. Yeah, all in all, not, not a great afternoon. And I think as Silva said afterwards, and I was surprised at how measured he was afterwards because, you know, he's, he's not normally shy about criticising bad calls. But, um, you know, you've got to hope that the, it balances out. Um, and that's something really probably one of the takeaways for me, just trying to make sure that there is a focus on that because I feel like if those decisions happened in, in a bigger game, potentially with a bigger team, I think there'd be far, far more scrutiny. As, as you'd expect, because there's more there's more coverage of those teams, but at the same time, there also is a point of, I don't want to say integrity, because we're not at that point. It's, you know, you can you, you can have days like this, and I know people are talking about conspiracies and stuff, which is just not true. It's just incompetent. There is a line. So, um, yeah, every right to be frustrated about how it panned out. But the only thing I would say is, even in those early parts where I thought Fulham on top, they conceded good chances. Skamaka could have scored a couple. Um, and that's that was sort of what I took from the game while trying not to focus solely on the officials, which was hard. Yeah, it, it wasn't a game that Fulham deserved to win. The, the, like, that's the ultimate line at the bottom of it, isn't it? Like, if, if Fulham mm. had won that game one nil, as you said, Sammy, it would have it would have felt like we'd done a smashing grab, and that's fine. Yes. Those things happen, and those results happen, but it would have felt like a smashing grab. And so there's there's that kind of element to it, although that doesn't take away, as Peter says, from from the refereeing calls. And I think this is it. No one wants to be talking about these things. And I don't want to like pedal out the same old cliches that you know we want to be talking about the game and want to be talking about the football. And and, and ultimately, we're we're here again talking about decisions. Now, are our decisions now under greater scrutiny because they take longer and and they're more there's more an expectancy to get things correct? Yes. They are. And, and so therefore, maybe it's a natural kind of swing of the game as we move into a digital age. But it, it doesn't make it any easier to stomach. And, and look, I think Peter's point there was, was pertinent about the coverage afterwards. After the West Ham equaliser was ruled out against Chelsea, there was nothing in the news for like three days apart from it. it was, that, was, that was the story that everybody was talking about constantly. And, and now West Ham fans, especially on social media, Seem to have you're like oh well you know sometimes it happens but like hang on <laughs> the yeah. double standards here the hypocrisy is absolutely like f- flabbergasting in so many ways you're looking at it going oh okay fine so when it's you it's allowed to be everyone's allowed to be kind of absolutely livid for for a week but when it's not you people are like oh get over it it's two days after the game now okay all right um that's a bit strange but yeah it, look it, it's tough the first one. I think you're looking at it and going, and, and David Moyes, I, he said some some amusing things after the game, and I know that it would have wound up some fans. But the point where he goes, if I was if I was angry, you know, if I was if I was Marco Silva, I wouldn't be being angry at the, the VAR not contesting the penalty. I'd be absolutely furious at my player for giving the referee a decision to make. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. They, I think I, I think that's a valid point. Now I don't think there's much that he can do, but one, why is Andreas Pereira marking Dawson at a corner? Because that I know, I know the Fulham run blockers. I know that they run different ways to kind of stop people getting out. But Craig Dawson is a massive, massive aerial threat and has been all season for West Ham. And so him being in that position in the first place is one thing. Secondly, if you get warned twice, switch markers. Like, 
just switch markers. Get yourself out of the referee's viewpoint. Just bring someone else in and, and do the same thing. It doesn't hugely matter, but just make sure it's not you again in the referee's eye line making a decision. Yes, it's harsh on Pereira in that Dawson runs into him and sort of elbows him in the face. But <laughs> ultimately, I'm not surprised that's given because, you know, what was going on beforehand? There's an element of that where you're going, well, we've kind of done, we've kind of done ourselves there. And, and, and that I can kind of get to grips with. The second one shouldn't stand. The third one shouldn't stand. Um, it's just one of those things. But ultimately, looking at it and going, what more can you do? Um, Fulham had an early spell. Obviously, we went 1-0 up. Dan James hits the bar. If that goes in, does the game change? If Fulham gets a halftime at 1-0, does it change the game? Is this the way that that we maybe should be looking at it? Been that we, you know, we've made our our own bed in some ways. We made a mistake there, and they are the opportunities we had to go there and and really put the pressure on. You go two 0 up, the crowd was already getting on their back. That second yeah. goal goes in. I don't know if if West Ham come back from that, and and so they're the, they're the kind of positives you take from it. You go right. We were very very close to probably putting that game to bed. The defending for the third goal after the after the handball is. comedy in so many ways so you're looking at it and going they're the upsetting things for me the the really hard part to take and i tweeted this at the time was that we only got 45 seconds of pure hope with shane duffy up front um before west ham put dagger in and there was a moment in that 45 seconds where tosin has the ball and he sort of just dribbles it out of play and i was like nah just throw my arms around that'd be a terrible (laughs) time um but i just really wanted one one opportunity for the big man to get his nut on something uh, and that never came that was the most disheartening moment for me i think and there was a lot of ian pierce chat after the uh after the game on on sunday obviously our our famous uh goal scoring attacking defender um, that goal against Portsmouth, obviously going down a little bit of folklore. Shane Duffy didn't quite get the chance to write his name in history in the way uh, that Ian Pierce did um, back in the day. So yeah, I, I agree that it's almost just one of those where, yes, the decisions were hard to take, but also slightly masters of our own destiny as well. And I felt like Jack... West Ham did cut us open quite a number of times. I'm sure you've read Peter's piece as well as I have, looking into the kind of some of the XG conceded numbers that Fulham are offering up at the moment. I just wonder, does something potentially need to change in defence? We are conceding so many chances. It's almost, this game would be much easier to talk about, actually, West Ham won 3-1 with three legitimate goals, because I think that then the actual conversation will be focused on Fulham's defence because some of the chances they missed, some of the times that we were thankful to Leno for his saves of keeping us in the game were enormous. And it it just all felt a little bit easy for West Ham just to kind of open us up when they wanted to. And, and that was concerning, particularly when we were one nil up and we had a, a lead to defend. It wasn't like we were chasing the game. We, we literally had something to defend and we still couldn't. So I don't, but I, I still don't know yeah. what that option is because you drop Ream feels harsh you dropped toes in that feels like the wrong decision so i don't know yeah it, it's a it's a funny one isn't it there was no one that was massively culpable i didn't think at the, at the weekend for letting west ham overrun them i thought bobby reed did well uh, right back i was glad to see anthony robinson back I didn't think the center halves did all that much wrong until that kind of chaotic mix up at the end so you're looking at it and going, yes, Fulham are giving up big chances here. How are they coming through? 
I mean, the answer is Lucas Paqueta, who was absolutely phenomenal and is starting to find that groove, starting to find that link with Skamaka. Now you're looking at, you know, a player who plays most weeks or has done for the last sort of two years in, in the Brazil national team, slightly deeper usually than he played in this in this game for West Ham, but it's a player who starts for the Selecao. You're looking at Italy's number nine or their long-term number nine. These are two incredibly good players. And 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 sometimes you have to just go, okay, Paqueta was borderline unplayable today. And and that was with Polinia back, you know, sh- shepherding him and, and, and shielding him. And I didn't think he had a particularly bad game either. And so you're kind of trying to work out where the, you know, where the opportunities have come from, where the, where they lie and where, where, the, where the fixes could come in. And I don't necessarily know what the answer is to that right now. And, and that will be Marco Silva's dilemma and his, his headache over the course of this week, trying to make sure that that unit looks cohesive again at the back. And, and, and it didn't for, for long periods, despite the fact that there were no major individual errors through the majority of the game. So, yeah, it, it, it's very hard to kind of pin it down. Um, but sometimes you do have to look at a player like Paqueta and go, he just had one of those games and, and he, it felt like he did. You know, every time he got the ball, I was like, oh, good, here we go. And, and, and sometimes when you're playing against a player who feels like that, you know, you just have to sometimes just go, yeah, he's, he's really good. Yeah, I thought Paqueta was excellent. I mean, as you said, Jack, he was playing against Palinha, um, but was still able to put in a performance like that. There were times where he was just picking up those spaces, which normally aren't there, that normally Palinha is able to shut off. So that made a difference. I think there's, there are caveats to it. Um, obviously, the last two games, if you factor in the officials' decisions, obviously there was a penalty on Sunday, then your XG numbers come down quite a bit. Yeah. I still think against Newcastle, was, as we discussed, you know, the, I don't think the performance was particularly good with 10 men and it could have been better. Uh, obviously Kenny Tet is a big miss and I think that sort of reshuffling of that stable back four hasn't helped but obviously with Robinson injured as well um, but but Tet has started the season so well um, I think his one-on-one abilities are really ideal for the way Fulham are playing at the moment yeah. um, he's been really, really high up for for tackles isn't he in, in, in the statistic numbers in the Premier League he's got three assists as well which is really encouraging so um, however long he, he's out for I think is, is important um, my flatmate saw him on a line bike recently, so maybe it won't be too long. <laughs> Breaking news from the <laughs> yeah. journalist for The Athletic. Exclusive. Yeah. That is why you're there digging you, in the dirt. You really, really missed a trick there, Peter, not banging that one out as an exclusive one. Yeah, that yeah. would have absolutely <laughs> slammed. Um, I think you're right, though, to double down on that. Bobby Reid has been really, really impressive on that right-hand side. This season, tracking back those def- that defensive work rate and, and all of those things that kind of doubled down. Moving him to right back was fine because I thought he played okay, but you don't get that quite that same thing from Dan James. And I thought that was the actual exposition maybe a little bit in the first half. You know, when, when things were going down that left-hand side, it wasn't necessarily Bobby being out of position. It was that we weren't doubling down the way that we do sometimes when Bobby Reed is actually playing right wing um and maybe that's the the question that you know you need that your what your wingers to, to put in that defensive work right and now i didn't think dan james was brilliant i didn't think he was as bad as some of the people around me did but he he didn't have you know an all-round game and he looked a bit tired for quite a lot of the second half um which i wasn't necessarily expecting you know it's a player that should have you know on paper come in match fit squad fit um, you know, able to, and he wasn't leading the break. He wasn't keeping up with people when when Fulham were getting on, uh, when were getting on the counter. And it was just kind of interesting to see how how those kind of things panned out. But yeah, I do think that when you have Bobby Reed 
in that right hand side. And to be honest, Harry Wilson's work, defensive work rate is good as well. So th- that's not necessarily a major problem. Um, but just having that kind of doubling down from that right hand side helps to, to close off those avenues. And it was on that side that there was a fair bit of joy for, for Cresswell, I thought as well. So maybe that's something to consider. I think also we think that we had a settled back four until the Spurs game. It was the Spurs game where suddenly the, the back four um, became an issue where we lost Robinson and we lost Tete and we had to switch up. And it's since then really that I think Fulham's defensive problems started. Yes, there's a couple of games before then where we did concede two. One of those was to Arsenal, which is, you know, no great shakes. And the other was to Brentford, which wasn't the f- finest defensive performance, but ultimately there's going to be occasionally games where you might concede two goals. Against Brighton, I thought we were fantastic defensively. Wolves, we rode our luck a little bit. And Liverpool, for the most part, pretty good defensive performance except a couple of individual mistakes slash bits of brilliance that meant like I think everything was fine up until that moment so I'm just hoping that well clearly Kenny Tete is going to be playing in the next match because he was riding a line bike um, on the scene last week so (laughs) that's going to get aggregated by someone Um, yeah let's see Um, so I'm hoping that when this team starts to get back to some sort of normality and we've got other players coming back as well it was great to see Harry Wilson on the pitch and we'll discuss in the Bournemouth preview whether he might get a start or whether he's going to get more minutes in that game that's my hope is that these next four games got something close to a first team starting to gel back together and these are four massive games coming up Bournemouth Villa at home Leeds away Everton at home doesn't get much bigger than that but um Let's chat Niskins Cabano. Um, Peter, I read your uh, interview with him this morning in The Athletic, and it's just one of those interviews that I had a smile on my face throughout the whole thing. It's a really, really good interview. Um, Niskins just seems like such a lovely chap who um, was just born to have a smile on his face. But, you know, it was really interesting hearing about his early career and his struggles at PSG and he had to leave PSG in order to get football. And then he kind of fought to get his way into a British team. And, you know, he's had highs and lows at Fulham. Um, Lovely, lovely interview. And uh, it just seems like such a lovely man. Yeah, it's, it's what you do. It's what you'd expect actually from Niskins Cabano. Um, you, you expect it to be like that, but it, it's true when you're in his company that you're like, I think I said in the first line, like you don't, it doesn't, not many minutes pass before there's a reason to smile or to laugh or he's, he's, he's made a joke or just, or thrown in a one liner or something. Um, <laughs> he's just a really, really positive guy. And I think what's interesting is, well, two things really. One, one the fact that, you know, he's, he's maintained that. That there's that sort of joy and that willingness to bring others joy um, throughout his career, and as you said, Sammy, it's not it's not been straightforward. You know, it was difficult, particularly at the start, um, and you know, he's, it's been difficult at Fulham, hasn't it? He hasn't played consistently until what last season, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but nevertheless, that's never changed, and I th- I, th- I find with Cabano, and, and we're seeing that more because we're seeing him more play more now. That you know his his sort of personality is reflected in his style of play, the way he wants to play, his skill, his flair, his, his attacking play. It was nice that he he saw Ronaldinho as the player he looked up to. And I know a lot of players look up to him, but obviously playing for PSG, going to see him when he was 10 and watching him, like there's a real, really nice sort of synergy there. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, you know, 
the, the, the one the one line that stood out for me was when he said you know we need more cabano in the world and it's 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 so true it's so true we all we all need we all need more cabano but it was it was a really enjoyable conversation and a lot of interesting topics covered as well because as you say his, his, his career has been up and down and he's clearly very happy it was very interesting hearing you know how he's elevated his game under Marcus Silva as well how they how it just allows him to express himself um and yeah, it's uh, long may it continue, really, because as we saw again on Saturday, I thought he was good. You know, he had mm-hmm. got an assist against Newcastle. He got an assist on, on Saturday as well. But three assists now. So um, he's a happy guy, probably at his happiest now in footballing terms. And um, it's really great to see because, as we know, he's, he's so popular. I mean, Niskin's Cabano, Jack, was so close to just never really having a proper Fulham career. I think when he went on loan to Middlesbrough that time, it was one of those moments where I thought, that's it then for Neeskins. I don't see him coming back from this. I didn't see him having the appetite or maybe the managers wanting him to be back for Fulham in the championship. I kind of thought he'd kind of go down the, you know, the road that we've seen now happen to, to, to Ivan Cavallero, to Anthony Knockart. I just assumed that um, Neeskins would be put on the scrap heap like that. But I think we'd always known deep down that like there's something more to Neeskins than we've ever seen. He kind of had that weird run in the Scott Parker playoff year where he scored three free kicks. But I was like, there's surely more to Neeskins than than this. And, you know, we talked a lot last season about whether Neeskins Cabana would just be a player for the championship and whether we'd have to kind of cut him adrift for the Premier League. So I'm really happy, not just that he did well in the championship, but that actually he's gone up a level, come to the Premier League and now is still starting games. And even with all of our wingers fit, yes, you think that probably Wilson and Solomon is our strongest pairing of wingers, but there's still such a big place for Niskins Cabano in the, in this side. Yeah, I mean, look, this is what, his seventh season of Fulham? Yeah, and third longest serving player. I mean, he's three years off a testimonial. It's... <laughs> a Niskins Cabano testimonial would be so fun. <laughs> and you know what? It's one of those ones, he's 30 years old. I don't know if that's that's unrealistic because no. you have a player, you know, of of Niskan's quality and caliber, right? But Peter made a point there in right at the start of this interview where he says, you know, whether he's starting or substitute, you know, wh- whatever role he's playing in the squad, he's a positive influence in the dressing room. And managers will love having that about, right? They will love having the a person who they can rely on to be positive, forward thinking, happy with whatever the role is, you know, towards the end of their career and, and, and go, yeah, I mean, why would, why would I get rid of a player like that? Who, who has been such a wonderful servant for the club, who's been such, who's brought such joy on the pitch and off it, but on the pitch mostly, um, and, and kind of is happy to fit into whatever role is necessary for him to play. And, and that's why I'm kind of intrigued by it because, I think there's every chance that Nice Cabana gets to 10 years at Fulham. And that would be just absolutely sensational, wouldn't it? Just like what 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 a story that would be. Um, but yeah, I think, look, you, you read this interview and, and there's so much to unpack in it. But over the course of it, you know, the, what we're seeing here is is a player allowed to ex- express themselves at the moment. And and that's joyful, isn't it? You're, you're seeing someone who has, has kind of been a bit part player for, for some seasons during his t- time here. You know, we saw him rotated in and out of, of a front three, even under Slavisa Jokanovic. It didn't quite go for him under Parker. He didn't seem to trust him very much. Silver loves him, clearly. And, and you get to this point going, yeah, cool then. Like, what more is left in this tank? And, you know, ultimately he's 30, right? But I think he's played a hun- just shy of 150 games. For Fulham, just passed it. 
has it just just, just passed 150 games of Fulham. So we're we're in a series here where Sam and I talk about this on ranks quite a lot. It's not necessarily a player's age. It's, it's like, we, we're like, what happens if you cut open their legs? How many rings have they got in their legs? And you know, there's some players who've been playing since they were 16, but every week, you know, week in, week out, by 28, you're like, okay, that player is now the equivalent of a 32, 33-year-old. But because Niskins hasn't necessarily done that, there's probably quite a lot of, you know, time and, and left in his career because he hasn't been you know, starting every week, week in, week out for long periods of this. He's not going to suffer that same kind of burnout. And so, you know, we're just looking at someone who, who, who makes me very happy. Like like he says in the interview, you know, the world does need more knee skins. And so many different people would be criticized if they were talking about themselves in the third person. <laughs> but it's none of that, is there? Like it's not, it's no. not, it doesn't come with any sort of level of, of ego or any of those things. He's just like, oh, can we just be better? And, and ultimately that's what it is. Niskis and Scavano like makes me want to feel better and make me want to be better. And, and that's a wonderful person to have in a football club. I think Niskins is up there with those players that I feel like have really made Fulham in the last five to eight years. And what I've enjoyed about Fulham, I feel like more than any period that I've ever remembered supporting us, we've had kind of like longer serving players who have been kind of iconic at the club. Um, and in, in the last like six or seven, we've had so many, some of now not playing for us, like Kevin McDonald and Dennis Adoy. See, two are still very regularly playing in, in Tim Ream and, and, and Tom Kearney. But I feel like Neeskins is in that in that camp and and the story of Fulham at every stage has involved Niskins Cabano and obviously everyone loves the Niskins diaries that happen on the website during pre-season where someone from the club gives him a GoPro and he just is allowed to to freestyle um, and often just with hilarious consequences. I think he's been such an important um role in that dressing room, Peter. And you, it was interesting hearing about his early days where he couldn't understand what Kevin McDonald was <laughs> saying. Um, you can just imagine little lost knee skins uh, in that dressing room, just like, oh God, what do I do? I'm just going to crack a joke and do a flip flap and uh, hope that everyone likes me. <laughs> I, just, I think it's really interesting actually what you say about the players that sort of have, have taken on iconic status. And I, and I wonder how much that's to do with the sort of the emotional roller coaster of the last few years, you know, obviously promotions, relegations, there's always something on the line. And and these are the protagonists. These are the people you're putting all your emotions into. And the fact that, you know, there are a few who've stayed the course throughout, you know, obviously Tim Ream, Tom Kearney, Nathan Skabana, Alexander Mitrovic, and, and, and the ones you said who've, who've moved on as well, like Dennis Adoy and Kevin McDonald. And um, it just sort of heightens their, I don't know, their, their feeling you have towards them, I suppose. Um, I think it's also, and I hope it comes across in the interview that he does. He is actually quite a serious guy as well. You know, as much as there's like a, there is that fun side to him. You can quite clearly see, and and in the way he talks about and reflects about different elements of his career, that he is quite an intelligent guy, quite a serious guy when when he needs to be, and he and he knows when there's a when there's a difference. Um, I think it's really fascinating his time at PSG because, as he says, he signed his first professional contract literally as QSI took over. Um, and all the money descended and suddenly almost like overnight his prospects there would have changed massively um you know they signed a ton of players in that first summer likes of pastore lugano gamero um Mohamed sissoko um and then in the winter you had alex tiago motta those kind of guys and just as they were starting to build and if you're a young player coming through in that environment it's incredibly difficult and he had a tough loan spell at Caen, where he had the, the same knee, knee injury that Manor Solomon's currently got, um, which he, and he 
And that sort of dilemma that he had between do I keep doing loans or do I leave? And he chose to leave and um and the sort of kicked on in, in Belgium. But um he's he <laughs> clearly found a home at Fulham and, and that definitely came across. And you can you can we can all see it anyway. You can see it from the way he interacts with his teammates, from his Instagram stories, which is just sort of a must must watch pretty much all the time. Um and that, that's why he's, he's so well-loved, really. Yeah. Um, well, it's a fantastic interview. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic and definitely uh, give it a read of all of uh, Peter's other great pieces. Did some uh, top analysis as well after the West Ham game. Uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, well worth reading uh, the Neeskins interview and loads of other things uh, if you haven't already. Uh, just before we end part one, I uh, just wanted to discuss Monday night. Um the under-21s rolling it back with a 7-0 win. Ollie O'Neill with a hat-trick. Uh, Luke Harris with a brace. Um, wow. Uh, and also a Yannick Vestergaard own goal, Peter, after he <laughs> turned down Fulham in the summer. Um, that must have been a little bit humiliating for him. Um, what can we say about this fantastic team, this fantastic set of players that we haven't already just a joy to watch those highlights and just goal after goal after goal go in. It's an exceptionally talented year group that Fulham have assembled. You know, this is the, the Carvalho year group, really. Um, it, <laughs> Imagine it, what the score what would be if he was still around. Well, not even that. <laughs> you, you have, it's Harvey Elliott's year group. It's, it's, it's Matt O'Reilly just about. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really impressive team. And, uh, and we've talked about them a lot, how they sort of progressed from the under-18s They've been fortunate and I think it's been useful to have Steve Wigley go from the 18s to the 21s with them as well. Um, and, they, and they continue to perform. You know, I, I spoke to Steve Wigley after they beat Everton uh, last week, week before last. Um, and, you know, he was talking about the challenge that they have now of facing tougher competition and why that's beneficial. Um, but also just trying to get the best out of players, you know, like Adrian Pagaziti, who we've seen in the senior setup, Matt Dibley Diaz, another one who's come back from injury and is playing really well. You know, they're trying to play them in more advanced positions just to see, just to help with their development. Um, and Ollie O'Neill, who you mentioned, who I think this year in the 21s is important. He, he could have gone on loan in the summer, chose to stay. Um, and with Sonny Hilton moving out to, to get more senior games, because Sonny was so important last year, as we talked about, it sort of opened the door for him to take more of a, a leading role. And we're starting to see that with his his goal scoring returns. So, um, yeah, it's a really impressive result to win 7-0. I think they're only a couple points off off top, which is, again, good going. I think when Leeds went up the season before last, they came straight back down, which kind of reflects the, the challenge it can be. Obviously, teams change, players coming through. But clearly, Fulham have a very good core. And, you know, there's there's more good players on the way as well, by the sounds of it, with Ali Malul's under-18s, who I think were 5-1 up against Southampton at half-time uh, last weekend, week before last. So, um, yeah, there is a good, there's some really good work being done um, in the academy, as we know, and we, as we talked about. But um, it's embodied by what the 21s are doing at the top end. Yeah, and Jack, uh, every time Ollie O'Neill just uh, scores uh, <laughs> a, a, another goal, <laughs> you must be just like, come on, come on, man. This is, I've, I've invested everything in Ollie O'Neill <laughs> yeah. emotionally. I come just, on, the boy. Yeah, I'm just really happy, right? Like, it just makes me really, really pleased. Um, so you just look at it and, and some of these goals are sensational. And look, that kind of combination between Harris and O'Neill in this game was just ludicrous, right? It's just like, they look like they're playing age groups above where they should be. Do you know what I mean? They look like they've been called in as ringers in a Sunday league game. And they're just like, oh, we're just better than you. You know, and sometimes you just play against someone, you're like, 
Well, they're, they're just like clearly from, they're just clearly like a semi-pro that's been drafted in for the crack. Um, <laughs> but that's what it looked like in this game. And obviously they're still so young and, and, and so talented that you're kind of looking at it and going, what's the next step here? And look, we, we've seen it before. And, and, as, and you know, as we're always quick to point out, success at youth level doesn't always translate straight away in, into the senior game. You know, and, and I think a lot of us were going, is Sonny Hilton going to be stepping up into the first team this year? He's obviously gone on loan to Carlisle. That's, a, you know, that's a, that's a very different level of, of what you're doing. And, and so you kind of have to take everything, I think, with, with a slight pinch of salt. But the way that the two of them combine, um, I thought Godot was excellent as well. Like really, really impressive. Yeah. The way that he drives at players is well, something else, really, to be perfectly honest with you. But his yeah. his progress in that short amount of time, because obviously he was at Margate at the start of the year, really, obviously training with Fulham and, and trialing. But at the same time, that progress is, you can really see it. You can see why he was given his, his debut, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, just the, the obviously the hat trick from O'Neill. Harris gets a brace as well. But, you know, it's the way that they're assisting each other. It's a bit like you we can't get you can't get the ball off us and we're going to find each other um and you know wearing the 10 and the 11 as well i was like oh it's like watching messi and neymar it's good um it's really <laughs> enjoyable having a great time here so yeah um it's it's amazing to see them doing so well uh, this is a really talented side a really talented age group as, as peter rightly points out um and and it's, it's a question now of, of making sure that that talent is realized but you know maybe the most most kind of impressive moment of this, or, or at least the most kind of pertinent thing right now, is that Ollie O'Neill and Luke Harris are both on longer-term contracts. Right, For so many years we've been talking about these these players and going right. Well, what happens at the end of the season when their deals run out? Obviously, O'Neill signed in the summer. Harris signed recently. Jay Stansfield locked down as well. You know, he's doing really, really well. Scored another wonderful goal for Charlton. Last night, uh, you know, on top of the two he scored at the weekend in that very emotional game. But, you know, the fact that those three are locked in on, on long-term deals, or locked in is probably unfair, but they're on contracts. I mean, they, they're not going to be walking away for paltry sums is a massive kind of weight off the shoulders. And it, it means that you can enjoy these kind of games in a little bit more of a, a relaxed fashion, I think. You can be like, oh, he's unbelievable. And he's at the club for three years with the option of a fourth. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Thanks very much. That's delightful. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, the, I have such high hopes for Lee O'Neill. Um, you know, future Fulham and Ireland captain is really exciting. But, uh, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, it, it, yeah, so step by step, step by step. I hadn't realised, by the way, um, about Sonny Hilton's injury, actually. Yeah. Um, out for um, six to eight weeks with a ligament issue. So um, real... Uh, blow there both for Carlisle I imagine and uh, and for Sonny he hasn't really managed to get all that many minutes either until until that point so hopefully uh, Sonny uh, manages to heal up soon but obviously that's a real bitter blow on his um, first big uh, loan move for him right we'll take a break there afterwards we'll look ahead to Saturday's game against Bournemouth when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sally James here with Peter Rutzler and Jack Collins. I uh, just want to say a big thank you to all of you guys who are supporting Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, which is on Telegram. Uh, if you aren't aware of it, it's just a way of supporting the content that we make here at Fulhamish and making sure that we can keep it as high quality as possible, not just through the podcast, but also our videos and our articles as well. Uh, it's a small amount a month and it really does go a long way. So if you enjoy our content and you want to help us out, then we'd be hugely, hugely grateful. Uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast, or you can head to the Fulhamish website and click the support Fulhamish button at the top. Uh, as a thank you, we, you get access to our Telegram community, which uh, has uh, three different chats. One for kind of general Fulham chat, one's about uh, tickets, pubs, away days. And there's also a transfers chat as well, where we just shoot the breeze. It's a really, really fun place to be, uh, a good uh, place to kind of get breaking Fulham news and uh, a bit of uh, Fulham chats in your life. But that's a bonus. And also, if you uh, don't want to support us, then that's absolutely fine. All of our content stays free, but we would really, really appreciate it if you'd like to. Uh, support us uh, yeah it goes an awful long way so uh, yeah link in the description of the podcast or you can find it at the top of the Fulhamish website let's look ahead then to Bournemouth on Saturday three o'clock kickoff it doesn't quite have the needle that it did last season against Bournemouth it's now Gary O'Neill's uh, cherries uh, visiting the cottage this Gary is such a weird one cherries I think you'll you'll find <laughs> sorry to give them their full name um this is so weird. Eighth versus ninth. I never would have believed you if you'd have said that at the start of the season, um, that that's where each team finds themselves. As I mentioned at the top, Peter, can we call it a six-pointer? It feels like it's going to have some importance come the end of the season, but also you can't say it's a six-pointer when it's eight v ninth. I think I was listening to another podcast recently. It might have been the Football Clichés one, and they were saying that I think someone coined it being like a four-and-a-half-pointer in Portugal. But I don't think that's an actual thing. Okay. But maybe they've just gone a bit more, you know, <laughs> niche on the maths. Uh, anyway, that aside, uh, yeah, I, I would classify it in that bracket, however you want to describe it. I think it's a massive game. Um, I think both teams have done really well, haven't they, from the start, especially considering that, you know, we talked about Fulham having probably the toughest start of any Premier League team based on average positions this year and last year. Bournemouth equally have had, re have had a really tough start uh, and yet have come through you know, obviously they had the 9-0 the defeat. They've had a managerial sacking and and yet find themselves, what, as you said, eighth in the table. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an important game. I think for in terms of momentum for both teams, Bournemouth are in a good good little patch of form. Had a really good result against Leicester. You know, clearly the, the players have all bought into what Gary O'Neill and, and Tommy Elphick are doing there and uh, and <laughs> maybe proving the point wrong that they that, that they can compete in, in the Premier League. Um and and for Fulham, you know, there's this need to sort of get back on track a little bit after back-to-back -back defeats um, and, and and the importance of October, as, as we've discussed. So um, I, I, but this is the thing. So as much as, you know, Fulham and Bournemouth have started very well, the gap between themselves and the bottom is not much. Also, we talked about the teams that are around there. You know, there's some established teams there with some very, very good squads who can change things very quickly, you know, whether that be through managerial change, changing form, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's encouraging on the one hand that Fulham and Bournemouth have started so well, so it's, com it's, it's competitive, it's open, a lot more open, and that creates pressure for other teams and, and, and can affect results. But it also, I think, means that 
it's going to be quite a decent points total required. So these games matter. These games matter a lot. And we saw how Fulham played against Nottingham Forest. That was another huge, huge, huge game. And um, to perform in a similar way, to, to really harness the, the crowd and the atmosphere at Craven Cottage will be key to get back to that sort of, that, that optimism at the ground. Obviously, the, the last game was so difficult to watch because of the red card um, and the performance as well. And, and I think getting those basics back and getting a good result is, is, is key. This is, this is you know, it's an important game. And as you say, it doesn't quite have the same needle as last year, which I think is kind of a shame because, you know, it makes it more entertaining to, to write about. Um, <laughs> but uh, even so, it's, it matters a great deal, uh, even, if, even if relations have, have thawed. Yeah, I don't think, um, Jack, the crowd will be up for Saturday, but in a yeah. different way to how that home game and the away game happened last season. All the focus from us was on Scott in both games, really, because the second game, even though like promotion was kind of on the line for us, well, the, the, the title was on the line for us. It was a lot about rubbing it in, in Scott Parker's nose. There was a weird kind of like... I wouldn't say rivalry between Fulham and Bournemouth last season, but I think Bournemouth got a bit fed up. Fans got a bit fed up of all the Scott Parker hate. Obviously now they're fully in the, we hate Scott Parker calves. It's almost kind of like an accepted, like begrudging understanding. Now it almost feels like between the two clubs and like, I wouldn't mind if Bournemouth stayed up. Obviously not at our expense. Like that's the only reason I want to win on Saturdays because They're a team that potentially we could stay up at the expense of, but I think they've done remarkably well. I think that like huge credit has to go, not just to to Gary O'Neill, but also those Bournemouth players because they were so written off. Like actually in the summer, some pundits thought that Fulham had a chance, but basically everyone in every prediction everywhere had Bournemouth 20th, including ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've 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 kind of stepped up, haven't they? And and look, there was there's an element of this which was yeah, which it all ties back together. It was that oh, we didn't we didn't sign enough players in the summer, said Parker. I was like, okay, but a lot of players came in last season and a lot of those players were bought with, with the Premier League in mind, especially in January, right? So and then they signed Marcus Sinesi, who was finals captain as they got to the Europe Conference League final last year. Absolutely sensational footballer. Really, really rate him. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, that group has clearly gone, right, well, hang on, we're, we're, we're done with being written off and we, we know exactly how we're going to play and how we're going to set up. And and suddenly, with the belief back in the camp under Gary O'Neill, they, they've kicked on. And, and, and absolutely fair play to them. It's been very, very impressive. Um, Gary O'Neill, well, I really wanted to sign him. I think it was back in about 2009, Fulham were linked with him. He was at Borough at the time. Um, and we didn't want to pay four million for him, which is probably fair enough. But I really wanted Gary O'Neill in. I really liked him at Portsmouth. I thought he was a really good footballer. Um, so I suppose that there's some there's some needle. Do we want that? Um, but talking of of that kind of thing, I, I do think it's important. If Parker was in charge here, I would have no qualms whatsoever about the fact that everyone would be so bang up for Saturday. But ahead of the Newcastle game, even before the red card, I felt like the atmosphere was a bit subdued. Um, now, I don't know if that was just because football had been away for a while or and people were kind of getting back to it, but it, it just felt a little bit quieter than it had done at the cottage for those opening kind of salvos, the, those opening games. that there was, And it was so important to be behind the team in, in those opening games. Now it's about sustaining that and, and it needs to be back at that level on Saturday. It really does. You know, it's ultimately going to be one of those games that the crowd can play a massive part in. This is two, you know, last year, what, two draws? Two relatively well-matched teams, eighth versus ninth, as you say, in in the Premier League. These are two teams 
relatively similar footings right now. You know, everything points to the, the form book in terms of results, the league table, everything points to two teams who are not miles away from each other, which means that this is going to be a, a good contest. It also means it's a game that that Fulham really need to to be kicking on and winning at home. And and, and as you said, the, there's a point here where you go, is this a six-pointer? I said no, but there is a there is a, an element of this that I said, if the reason I was really worried for Forrest before, you know, after, during that international break, before, after, during, um, during that international break was the fact that they'd lost at home to Fulham and Bournemouth. I said, if you lose at home to the teams who've come up with you, you're in real trouble. You're in major trouble. You need to be picking up results against the teams that come up with you at home, especially in order to give yourself a puncher's chance with everything else, to keep yourself in the mix, to keep yourself afloat. And, and that's where I think I am with this game. It's not necessarily you know, a six-pointer in terms of relegation. Or I think what it is is this is Fulham's home game or first home game against a side that's come up with us and you have to be winning those games if you're going to give yourself the best possible chance of staying up. So so I think it's a must win, but I'd, I'd maybe reticent to call it a six point. I, I fully agree. It just feels like the one on the calendar and it feels like such a tipping point as well because I think if we're here on Saturday evening and Fulham are still on 11 points, the chasing pack behind us will be kind of there or thereabouts catching up with us. I think there'll only be a few points then between us and the relegation zone for all it matters at this stage. But then again, 14 points after 10, nearly 50% of what we need, 100% more than a third of, of, of what we need um, is such a good position, particularly when you bear in mind the three fixtures that follow Villa at home, Villa have not looked very good leads away could go either okay, way. Difficult yeah. game, but like could go either way. And then Everton at home and an improved Everton. Let's, let's, let's give them that. That's not going to be an easy game, but still Everton at home. Like one of these, if you can get six points from these next four, wow. Like what a position we're in. But I think it all rests on this one on Saturday. I think it's more and than that, Sammy. I, I think you need to be looking at seven minimum from these four games, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, maybe nine. Because these are, yes, Fulham have performed well in the more difficult games um, and played well and in and, and games that we maybe didn't expect to be getting things from. Uh, but these are, this is a, a run of form here where we looked at these six, didn't we? Including Newcastle and West Ham. And we thought, okay, that's a more favourable run. Now, Newcastle are you know, on fire and as you say, the red card changed the game and the performance wasn't great, fine. West Ham away is, is no major shakes to lose to that side, but... I think there was something to be got from that game had Fulham played at full tilt. Um, and then you look at these four and you go, okay, right, we've now dropped points in those two games um, against Newcastle and West Ham. These four become even more important. And and so I think that you're looking at minimum seven, I think, from these four if you if you want to be staying away from the pack chasing you. Let's look at this then from a Fulham point of view. Um, Peter, still quite a few team selection things up in the air. Obviously we saw Harry Wilson come back in against West Ham. Might be a bit soon for him to start though. Kenny Tete, obviously we got the intel earlier, but we don't know if he's going to um, be uh, starting at right back. And then Alexander Mitrovic, Silva said he expects him back for Bournemouth. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's obviously absolutely crucial for him to get back as, as soon as possible, but I just have a niggling feeling that it won't be that simple. So um, yeah, what's, what are you expecting? I know you've got to get the crystal ball out a bit, but. Yeah, I guess it depends what, what that sort of mini setback was that sort of Silver referred to after the game on, on Sunday. He said that 
They'd expected him to play, but the last couple of days beforehand, uh, this is against West Ham, um, that he didn't feel right. So he, his exact word was didn't feel well. I'm still referring to that foot injury that he picked up on international duty and ligament in his foot was his words before the game. Um, so I guess it just depends what that that means and whether that changes things. I, I'd still expect him to be involved um, uh, purely on the basis of what we've seen so far, unless there's, unless there's something else. Um, I think obviously it's so important. That goes without saying, not not just in terms of the goals and what he does for the team, but just his aura as well. I mean, it just changes how opposition teams see Fulham, I think, whether you see Alexander Mitrovic in the team or not. Um, not that I thought Carlos Vinicius did fine on, on Sunday as well. And I think there was some some criticism for him, but I, I thought he was fine. I thought he, he did what he needed to do quite well. His link-up was okay, especially at the start on those counter-attacks, pulled deep into the space, allowing Cabano to go beyond, Pereira to go beyond. So um, reasonably encouraging signs there, but of course, you know, Mitrovic is the main man and, and, and Fulham need him really. Um, Tete, of course, as we outlined, because of what he can do for the defence. Um, and then, yeah, it just depends with Wilson, I think, because he didn't have that long on the field to change the game. It'll be just about building his minutes, I think. So maybe he, they go, okay, well, let's, let's give you 45 to an hour, see how you do. Um, but... Uh, wouldn't really change too much. It wouldn't change too much in midfield, as you said. Sammy, defense is is the question mark. Does does Issa Diop come in? But did anyone do that badly individually? It's hard to say, apart from maybe the Antonio goal, which was messy. Uh, so yeah, I think those 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 two are the key the key turning points, aren't they? Um, and basically changes how, how the game looks, and, um, and 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 of course there's there's wide positions, which you know I think. Cabana did well. Maybe he should keep his place, but as, as Jack was saying, Decatur Reed offers something defensively. So um, it just depends how Fulham, Fulham look at the game. Yeah, we'll see uh, how it goes on Saturday. Massive, massive game. Three o'clock kickoff, uh, and fingers crossed, uh, we can get a few players back and we can get a vital three points. We're going to take another break there afterwards. We'll answer some questions and do a this will catch on. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Jack Collins and Peter Rutz. I was talking about the Fulhamish community earlier. We're going to head over there for some questions today. Uh, first one from John Brooker. He says, do you sense we are going to hammer a team soon or be in a bad streak? He said, while some bad luck could be described as self-inflicted, we do seem to be suffering from some random injuries slash poor decisions. And being an optimist, I feel our luck could change soon. Um, Jack, uh, is this basically the green lights for another seven nil on the, on Saturday? Be nice, wouldn't it? Two in a week Would be. for the boys. That'd be great vibes. Um, hammer someone? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think we're absolutely all over teams and, and getting punished on the break or anything like that. I, I think there's every chance that we win on Saturday. You know, I, I, I say we go into the game as favourites, being at home and and having what is I think on paper the, the better squad. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to hammer anyone. I mean, I bloody hope I'm wrong. But ultimately, I, I think this is that's not really what we're going to see this year. That that was that was last year's game in 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 so many years. I, but I, I do think that there's an element of our luck turning. That's a fair point. Um, and and you know, going back to what Peter said at the start of the podcast in part one. You know, you hope these things even themselves out over the course of a season. Now we've been on the end of uh, of a bit of tough luck there, um, and and hopefully things go our way in a different game, and we can go okay, fair enough, that's that that's good. But you know, you do also make your own luck, 
in, in football in so many ways without going full football cliches podcast there is an element of you know the more you're in the opposition third the more you're creating high quality chances the the, the higher there are chances that are going to go for you that you will get a penalty that you will get something pulled down you know to make things work and and actually I think that this is a game a, a good opportunity to, to to kind of turn the form around as you said on, on BBC Sammy you know three losses in a row starts to look a little bit like a mini crisis um, now there are caveats for all of those things, but equally you look at them and go, right, let's just make sure that, that this, this is turned around, that Fulham can put in a good performance at the weekend, that you know, let's build back that defensive solidity and build from there again, because that's how this season is going to be kind of judged at the end of it. That when we come back to this, we'll go, right, how do, how did, how did it go? And you go, right, if Fulham were defensively solid and able to create chances, we know that we can score goals. You know, we, we've scored goals in almost every game that we've been in. You know, I think the Wolves game is the only game we haven't scored, right? So you look at this then and think, right, Fulham can score goals. Now let's build this from, from a slightly more solid base. And and hopefully this this run of fixtures can be become a little catalyst for us to kick into the next part of the season. But I don't know if we're going to hammer someone, I would say. I actually kind of have a funny same premonition as John. By hammer, I think in the Premier League, like a 3-0 win is a hammer. Okay. Like right. that's, that's from, like if I, I think, yes, obviously I think the days of like beating someone five or six is not going to happen. But I, I think that this next four games, if we get back to full fitness and Alexander Mitrovic is, is playing. And as I said, I think if you can build from that stable base at the back, like I, I'd take a 1-0 win on Saturday. I absolutely would. Um, and it might take a really scrappy, horrible victory in order to turn the ship around a little bit for Fulham but 1-0 would actually be a fantastic result it would be a clean sheet and a win um but actually I think that maybe one of these next games Villa at home Everton at home I wouldn't put it absolutely past us you think how prolific we were last season and how we had some amazing amazing moments under this team and let's say you get Harry Wilson back I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Fulham could go and have a, a really good game. I think they're going to be few and far between this season, but I think it's easy to forget just how good Fulham were last season. And that in some of those games, if we'd have been playing a bottom half Premier League team, I still think Fulham were that good at points last season that we could have racked up three or four against uh, uh, a team. And we're never going to do it against City, Liverpool, Newcastle, you know, who are now kind of in that upper echelon. But I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. So um, I share your optimism, John. And uh, what's the point of uh, being a football fan if you're not going to be optimistic? I'm all for it. Uh, final question. I'll go to you on this one, Peter. Scott Burley asks, any possibility of cutting our losses on Kazawa and Mbabu, finding them a new home in January and getting replacements? <laughs> um, seems extreme, but there is a serious point that whatever Mbabu is doing in training is seriously not impressive pressing Marco Silva if you're going to play Bobby Decadova Reed at right back over a seemingly fit um, right back that we signed for a, a decent bit of money in the summer like that is that is a bit of a situation and uh, Silva is obviously not happy with what he's producing yeah I think I think you're right in that you know I think in terms of what we've seen on the pitch it, it felt a bit early in that you know he's played had a good camp against Brentford wasn't suited to left back at Tottenham. It was very uncomfortable for all concerned. Um, and then, of course, was subbed off for half time against Newcastle when at right back in a, against eleven v ten. But clearly, as you say, it's what's what you've seen in training. Um, and I think it was interesting what he said after the game about what he wants to see from him. That Mbappe knows the level and um, he's got to get up to that level. So um, I, 
no is the answer at this point because I still think it's very early for both. I think especially with Kazawa, I think oh, he's picked up a calf injury now, so it could be even longer before we we see him. And, and that is frustrating and the whole scenario is frustrating, to be honest. But there's a quality player there. Uh, they've just got to get it right in terms of his fitness. Um, then with Mbappé, it's just a question of whether he does make those improvements that Silva's asked him to do, or publicly anyway. Um, whether that's a, a final decision, you know, we've seen before that if Silva's unhappy with a player, he makes a call and then we don't really see them very much, which we saw last season. Um, time will tell, but as you said, they've made an investment in Babu and it's about getting the best out of that investment. Um, if it comes to January, problem is there's not many games left before January. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, there, there, there has, yeah, there's been... Did well against Brentford, and that's that's what he's got to cling to and try and take that going forward. And um, let's see, let's see how he adapts in January. But it, it's not ideal. I mean, Bobby Decker is not a right back. You know, he grew as an attacking player. He's a skillful player, and his work rate means he's he can adapt and is willing to try anything. Um, but at the same time, you, you don't want to be relying on that in, in the Premier League for sure. So, well, I think um, we noticed with that second goal. Yes, it's a handball, and everyone was focused on that. But Bobby broke the offside line like, yeah marginally every- marginally I mean that yeah I suppose no, but, but I'm not I'm not shitting on Bobby here it's just that that to me is why Bobby Decker Dover Reed is in is an attacker he's not he's not an experienced defender and he was just caught napping for a split second but it did cost us the second goal and I think that's what happens when you play a non-right back at right back right they can do a job for a bit of time and he, he did an absolutely fine Sterling job I think he played well but I, I think that is what happens when you put, put players out of position is small moments like that is is, is what can happen I, I do find it surprising look I didn't see Mbappé against Newcastle. I didn't watch that game, so I haven't really got a huge reference point on how well or badly he, was bad. he played. Very bad. But like, can it be that bad? It was quite bad. It wasn't great. Um, and then, but also there's the element of he gets pulled just before half time. Now there's a question. He goes down. And he looks like he might have. He might have picked up a knock. Silver's obviously fed up with him already, and then pulls him. And you're going, okay. He could have. He could have waited 45 seconds. And pulled him at the break. He didn't. He made the sub. And I, I think that says quite a lot. You know, that it would yeah. have been really, really easy for him to make that change at half time. He he actively made it before the break. And there's something in that performance that's really angered Marco Silva. And I think there's an element maybe of, of hangover from that in this game. He's gone, well, if you're gonna play like that, then I'll play Bobby Reed there. He's like, get back, get back to my level. And then, you know, he said it, as Peter said that, you know, he, he's, he knows where the level is. He needs to get back to it, but he's almost making a point to him and going, I, I don't need to play you just because Tete isn't out. Doesn't mean that you are an automatic starter. You have to earn your point, your, your place still. And, and it might just be a slight wake up call for him in, in that regard to be like, look, you are no one, no one kind of gets their spot automatically. You know, even if the options are limited, I will, I will find solutions in different areas that mean that I can make things work. And I think that might've just been a shot across the bow in, in so many ways. Yeah. Just to be like, by the way, earn it. I mean, we've seen players who've had poor starts come on and become, you know, cult heroes. Chris Baird comes to mind. I think, you know, like it's not with, not beyond the realms of possibility. That oh no, not at all. You can have a bad start and come back. So let's see. Let's see. Yeah. 
Also, I don't want to sell either Kazawa or Mbabu because I do want to hear the le- the Radio Gaga um, song for both of them one day happen. Sneak. So effectively, I want to I want to keep both of them on the books just so that it, it, it can happen because it's one of the greatest chances ever been uh, created. It just hasn't got going yet because neither of them on the pitch. Speaking of chance, let's do this. We'll catch on uh, before we finish. And we're going to go back to an email that we received last week um, and play a this will catch on. So it's a bit of a two-parter. Chris Hunt emailed us. No, 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 not that this will catch on. So he emailed last week and was like, he ran in the Royal Parks half marathon for the Paul Allen project, which is the charity that Claire Parrish has set up uh, in memory of her dad's teaching people about how to do life-saving operations and how to use defibrillators and um, all the great stuff that, that Claire is doing. So Chris ran the Royal Parks half um, to raise money for the Paul Allen project. Uh, the link, if you want to donate to Chris's uh, Just Giving, is in the description of this podcast. I'm pleased to say that he completed the half marathon. I don't have a time, but he completed Ooh. it. He got around. That's what matters. Uh, a fantastic achievement. But at the same time as him letting us know about this, he also submitted that this will catch on, which I thought I would save for this week so this part of the email reads uh the whole song probably won't catch on but the chorus on repeat stands a chance probably not the best time to play it after the performance on the weekend but it might put a smile on some faces i won't give away the track as i'm enjoying the jack collins guess the tune game and speaking of jack please in advance can i have forgiveness from the syllable police for cramming in (laughs) corridor of uncertainty into the song yeah i wish i could say it's free pass for a cliche (laughs) <laughs> I wish I could say it's an original. However, I tried to get a version of the song going for Mladen Petric after our thumping win against Norwich on the opening day of the season. Sadly, following that performance, neither Mladen or the song did catch on. Alas, I've been inspired to rework it for this season. Hope you enjoy. So this is for the aforementioned Kevin Mbabu, um, which also feels apt. Uh, so this is, cri- I don't know, and I don't know the song as well. I So Jack, you're going to have to get Shazam out okay. or your own internal brain out and work out what the song is. But uh, I did enjoy it. Funny enough, Shazam doesn't really work. Once there was this guy who... Couldn't get a run because the form of Kenny Tate But when he finally came on Balls flew into the corridor of uncertainty He stops and looks for me Tro, he always seems to be there Mbabu, Mbabu, do 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 Mbabu, Mbabu, do 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 No idea. I don't know. Not a clue. Um, there's probably people shouting at us right now who think it's obvious, but I don't know what it is. I mean, I like it. I can't see it catching on. I can see where he was going with mm, Laden. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I assume that's what it goes like. It's um, really tuneful. I had a nice time. Yeah. I enjoyed, I nice I enjoyed the reference to the corridor of uncertainty as exceptional. Um, I didn't think that was majorly shoehorned in either. That was good. No, I um, thought it was it was all right. But I, I'm imagining his whole half marathon. He just had in his head. 
Babu. Babu. <laughs> um, which must have got quite frustrating after about five miles. Peter, your thoughts? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say, to be honest. Um, hmm. I don't think it's going to catch on, sadly. Although, fair play to running the half marathon. That's, that's major. Um, yeah. Big achievement, big achievement, yeah. and and a, and a great uh, a great cause. Yeah, as well, I'm sorry so, though, I don't know the song. I, I'm going to have to just just apologise. Right, well, uh, well, Chris, message in, put aside my misery. Tell us what the song is, and we'll uh, we'll give it a name check um, on uh, on the next Thursday club. So that is all for today. Um, thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Sammy. It was good to be back. Uh, and Peter Rutzler, thank you. No, no, thank you. Always a pleasure. Um, I'll be back on Sunday evening, Monday morning uh, with the podcast reacting to the Bournemouth game. Fingers crossed it is a win and we can get back to winning ways in that one. Um, but until then, have a lovely weekend. Come on, you whites. You whites. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy here with Peter Rutzler. I just want to do a quick shout out for the Fulhamish. <laughs> oh yeah, shit. Sorry, mate. <laughs> you should have left that in. That would have be much fun. Just carry on. Just carry this on. This can stay at the end. This can stay at the end. I just forgot about Jack. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Who is it Jack? Happens. Who is Jack Collins?